21CL Radio. Hey, happy Monday morning to you, and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Glad to have you here. Hope you are enjoying your summer, or if you're from the Southern Hemisphere, your winter. Uh, today, I got a cool interview with a consultant, a teacher, and an author, and her name is Kristen Zemke. The terms digital and media literacy have been around for a while now, but I'm not sure we all know exactly what those terms mean or have a common definition for them. For example, is it just using the technology tools out there, or is it using them in a certain way that qualifies as digital and media literacy? Today, I speak with a teacher and author consultant, Kristen Zemke, about digital and media literacy and the exciting possibilities and learnings that go along with opening your classroom to the wider world. Enjoy the conversation. Christian Zemke, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you do a lot of cool stuff, and we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff today. And a lot of it uh, involves digital and media literacy. And help me out, I'm not sure all of us, maybe I'm just talking about me, has a clear understanding of what digital and media literacy really is. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of educators feel today. And for my purposes, I define digital and media literacy is the ability to interact, comprehend, and use new media. So anything that's available online, things that are related to videos and graphics, and knowing the messaging that goes behind it. Um, I think we're in a place where we see both kids and teachers using digital tools and interacting with media, but I think there's a layer of depth that's missing, and I hope as educators together we can raise awareness for understanding of messages and purpose and intent and bias and branding and all of those things that guide us down a path to becoming truly literate. Um, I think the first piece is awareness, making others know that these things exist, and then hopefully pushing forward to a place where we're just talking about literacy. There's so many parallels between print, digital, and media. We uh-huh. need to teach all aspects of it. But I think ultimately, if we, if we want our students to be really literate, they need to be literate across the continuum of literacies. So I think a lot of teachers, you would talk about digital literacy, they might reply, oh, my students are already great at that, especially if the students are a little bit older. But you, 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 you just mentioned and you talked about depth and interaction and comprehension, and even branding. So, so how can teachers get to that point where they, a student walks away understanding what branding is, for example? I think um, it goes back to some key fundamental pieces of best practice instruction and what we know from the work of David Pearson and Richard Ellington all those years ago is that kids need explicit instruction in how to use uh, text or tech for academic purposes. And so it starts with a lot of, I think, mini lessons in our classroom, first naming it, making kids aware, and then teaching them the purpose behind it. It also goes to this piece of inviting kids to use it, to get uh, up to their elbows and messy with some of these (laughs) new opportunities that are out there, and then ultimately to create their own digital and media projects. Because when you make something, you truly understand 
the layers of it. And then you take that creative piece and share it with a Beyond Classroom audience and get feedback, which invites kids to revise and refine their thinking about those new types of pieces. So I caution teachers um, to assume, not assume that kids understand the purpose behind what they're doing online and to really get to that point of teaching. And ultimately, I think following a gradual release of responsibility model, showing Mm -hmm. them, working with them, then getting them to that independent practice piece. Would you say it's fair to say that all technology really has done is expanded our ability to communicate to people outside of our classroom walls? You know, I think technology for me is about adding more layers of awesome. Um, For me, it's not about a paperless classroom, but it's about now we can use paper and make a movie, post a blog, connect with others, have a voice. And I think uh, this piece of story, inviting Mm -hmm. kids to tell their stories even more, giving those stories a bigger audience, seeing the cycle back of impact on those stories is the true win. What do you mean by uh, cycle back of the impact you talk about? Seeing, getting feedback and, and from what you're writing? Yeah, getting feedback and seeing some of those connections. Like you mentioned, you know, oh, other people share my story. My story had an impact on somebody that I don't even know. Um, the power to pursue my story is real and out there. And whether you're 6 or 16, you can now do that. So what I find interesting about your point of view is what you're talking about I often rings true maybe for a middle school teacher, but you mentioned before the show you're teaching or just finished first grade, you taught third mm-hmm. grade before that. So obviously you're saying let's start at a younger, a younger age. Absolutely. And I think um, this sharing piece needs to start as early as kindergarten, if not before. I think we have a huge opportunity to shift the narrative on digital citizenship to something that's very positive, Mm -hmm. that kids know about. Um, And lots of it comes from modeling. And so in the primary years, that modeling piece of teachers sharing blogs, looking at online videos as mentor tech for kids and saying, you too could make a video like this. Let me work with you to go through that process. But I think it's even more transformative for the early years because that's Mm -hmm. the first time that kids get a voice and then it shifts their mindset on what's possible after. Now, I think I can imagine you get a little resistance here and there to the idea of uh, a student, especially younger, sharing out to a wider world. Do you, do you, is that true? Do you get some resistance? And if you do, what sort of response do you give to that? Yeah, I think um, our parent community is relatively supportive. Every year, there's five or six families that have questions and hold back that first quarter in terms of what permissions they give for sharing student work. But Typically, by November, parent-teacher conferences, they're coming in saying, I get it now. Yes, it's okay for my child to blog. Yes, it's okay for them to interact on the supervised Twitter account. Um, I've actually had 100% of families come back and say that over the years. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes there's resistance from um, educators that aren't sure what that looks like. And so it's about finding one thing. I always tell them that they feel comfortable that they could try and then taking a few steps forward each quarter. Um, The intentionality has to be the guiding purpose. And so if we can state and support that, it's easier to get people on board. 
Okay, so let's say somebody's been listening to this podcast for the last seven minutes or so, and they're thinking, Kristen, you've convinced me. I'm on board here. <laughs> uh, what does it look like? Where do I start, Kristen? Help, help me. Yeah, I think um, some very easy places to start a simple entry point would be some type of Skype classroom or mystery Skype practice where you're introducing your kids to another classroom elsewhere in the world or even connecting with specialists or authors online. Um, There's so many authors that are extremely generous with their time and will visit classrooms via Skype for no charge. That was a big hook for me. Um, After the Skype piece, I think Twitter was such a powerful piece and I was resistant to do that a number of years ago, but I found a community with the first chat, Twitter chat on Sunday nights and Uh then connected with a number of teachers there that I collaborated with and then connected classrooms with and built upon that to become really great friends with. So last year, you know, you just finished first, again, first teaching first grade this year. What was like your favorite thing to use? Was it Twitter like you mentioned now or was it something else maybe? I think there's a variety of different great tools. I think having a classroom Twitter account is really uh, powerful for Uh kids to see that they can tweet an author and in that same reader's workshop period get a response. We've also had a lot of success this year with Instagram and doing book reviews on our class Instagram account and sharing some of our learning. When we think about how we're using social media, for me, it goes back to the strategic work that Stephanie Harvey has done in comprehension. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what we're asking kids to do is determine the most important information in a text, in a lesson, and share that online. Or to summarize and synthesize their learning day or learning experience and share that with others. And then we add that two-way communication stream of social media, and it cycles even deeper than it did years ago. All right. So what's upcoming uh, when you start the school year again in in August or September? uh, What are you looking forward to maybe using that's different or new? Yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, I'm really trying to figure out some ways that I can use Periscope effectively and still safeguard students and Mm -hmm. student work, but to provide that authentic window to families in the classroom, I think would be a really powerful piece. Um, And I think, you know, going back to blogging, we've been blogging for a number of years, but continuing to evolve as a community of bloggers and think about the what's next. How does this allow me to take a position, to connect with others, and to truly suggest practices that will transform thinking and learning in our classroom and beyond. So from a practical point of view, how does a first grader blog, because I'm sure you know this, but they're not the greatest typers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, what I've seen, and we've been blogging, I think, for the last six years, like I said, is that the motivation and engagement that comes from having a space to share does so much to foster and further their written fluency, whether it be uh, their keyboarding skills or their Mm -hmm. opportunity to produce extended responses on blog. And the very first couple of weeks, it's a lot of inventive spelling. And sometimes it's tricky for even me to read, but Mm -hmm. they progress very quickly because they want to communicate with their peers and they see the value in this platform that gives them a voice. For students that need support, there's so many great tools out there now for um, audio 
that kids can now, you know, speak a comment or add a link that shares their story if it's something that they're not able to write fluently yet. But I would say by week four or five, kids are pretty able to communicate their messages. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned creative spelling because that brings up the question of perfect work before you put it out there for the larger audience. So in the beginning, certainly a first grader's work with creative spelling is not going to be perfect. Is it okay to share things that aren't fully edited in a sense? Absolutely. And I I look at that as a totally different pocket or track of what kids are doing. When when they're sharing online and when they're um, representing with their writing, I'm analyzing their thinking and what they're able Mm -hmm. to talk about and say and think. Assessing their spelling is a different area where we're slowing down. We're looking at a much smaller subset of words or of sentences. And my philosophy is really that we support them in spelling, but that it makes a lot more sense focusing on it a little later in their learning career when they have Mm -hmm. more letter and word and sound knowledge. For me, spelling is sort of a fix-up strategy. And if they have the phonemic awareness and can start communicating their thinking, we can adjust the spelling later on. Chris, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about you. Uh, you're a busy person. So we talked before the show, you're 75% teaching, 25% running around talking to other people about teaching. Uh, you recently finished a book, uh, it looks like in 2015 called Amplify. What, what drives Kristen to do all this? Why not just relax in front of a good book? Oh, man. Well, I'm trying to find some time to do that this summer Uh because at the core of who I am is a reader. And uh, I come from a place of literacy and inquiry. And this technology adventure was not anticipated or, um, you know, sort of came as a byproduct of that. How did that that start? What happened? Yeah. uh, I worked at a great school in Chicago with a really innovative technology coordinator, Carolyn Skiba. And as we were able to gain more technology resources in our school. She really pushed me to explore options for early childhood learners. And then um, she signed me up to become part of the Chicago Public Schools iPad project. And Uh then from there, it really transformed how I thought about interaction and adding layers to these thinking pieces because I could see immediately how this was a game changer for our early learners. And so um, I think that's what drives much of the professional work that I do is that I see so much opportunity and that we're now in this place of possible mm-hmm. with even our youngest learners. And so the opportunity to give kids a voice, to archive thinking better than ever before, to empower learners to go back and reflect on their thinking and to really, as educators, have every resource that we need at our fingertips. You know, I think back to teaching kindergarten years ago, and for so long, I had students that wanted to read about sharks or about volcanoes. And unless there was an easy reader title at their reading level, they couldn't. So I was stapling together books and cutting out pictures and trying (laughs) to make resources for them. And now we can engage them with image study. We can look at a short two, three minute video clip and say, okay, go back, read that video again. What did you notice? What did you wonder? Like, what are some elements of sharks that you have questions about? All of these pieces 
allow comprehension to be sort of that carrot on the stick for developing further reading skills. So now we're in this place that's a little bit more kaleidoscopic instead of linear in how you can access the thinking. I haven't heard it described that way. Can I borrow that? Mm -hmm. It's a cool phrase. I'll give you credit, I promise. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you do creative commons for that phrase? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Document it. (laughs) All right, we're getting towards the end here, so I want to ask you the final question. Uh, Coming up into the future, what sort of exciting things do you see on the horizon for uh, education, maybe specifically things you'd want to use in your classroom? Oh, boy. Um, I think I'm so excited right now about some of the opportunities with media literacy and how we're shifting, you know, and watching this as educators, how we're shifting from primarily text-based to this place of video and how we can really get kids to understand the messaging that goes behind video, but really start communicating their ideas succinctly and effectively with video. Um, In the classroom, I'm just loving this idea of every space is a learning space. I think about when computers were plugged into one wall because Mm -hmm. that's where the internet lived. And now we have all this (laughs) flexibility to do cross-grade collaboration and to put kids in spaces that match their reading level. And so I think um, looking forward, the language of personalization is very exciting for me, but I want to articulate that I think personalization does not mean programs. And so we can personalize better than ever before, but that doesn't mean putting everybody in some platform that will adjust readability level or text levels based on that child. True personalization is inviting kids to create something, to make something, to follow their passion and interest, and I hope we can hold on to that moving forward. All right. Well, I've been speaking with Kristen Zemke. She's a teacher and learning innovation specialist. Thanks so much for your time today, Kristen. Thanks so much. Great to talk with you. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.